You are listening to iFanboys Talksplode with Kelly Thompson. This is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and of course, thanks to the patrons uh, of iFanboy, we have this interview show, this Talksplode show that we do, and today, I am talking to writer Kelly Thompson. You might know her from her Marvel work, you might know her from Gem and the Holograms, you might know her from her comic book writing and podcasting uh, before she turned pro. All of those things are possible. Um... Anyway, uh, obviously there is a, if you've listened to the show, you know there's a story behind this podcast and we will get into it uh, when we talk about it, but we've done this before and we will do it again apparently, uh, or we did it again, but I bet we will do it again. I should stop talking. Let's get to this show that people have been very patient about, especially Kelly. This is Josh Flanagan. I'm here once again, if I'm honest with Kelly Thompson. <laughs> How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm going to preface this. You know this, but the people listening, they might know it because I've I've said, yes, I screwed this up. Uh, we did this once. I messed up the recording on my end. And if you've listened to me, I've done many dozens of these. And that is, it's honestly never happened to me. No, but uh, so we gave ourselves a little time and we said, how we'd come long back. was it? Was it a month? Well, like something it, like that. Is it a month in pandemic years or a month in regular time? <laughs> Oh, it's a it's a thousand years in pandemic years, but I think it's a month real time. Yeah, <laughs> we made it through the last one without really talking about it because it was still early, and it now we'll see how that goes. Early. I yeah. think we'll do. I think we'll do okay because I don't know about you. Well, now we're talking about it, but I don't know about you, but I hit my wall a couple weeks ago where I was really going stir crazy and I was a little like, oh my God, I don't know how much longer I can do this, even though, as I told you, I've been preparing for this kind of thing forever, but like it unofficially. Um, but the, uh, let me just clarify, that's not because I'm like a end of the world or anything. I'm just very reclusive and boring. So, um, see, when you said preparing for it, I assume that myself and all the other nerds are listening are like, yeah, totally, we get that. But just for a minute, you thought they might think I have a bunker. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I, and I do not have a bunker. I mean, I sort of wish I had one now, sure. but no, I'm not. I'm not that guy. I'm just lazy, and I don't want to wear pants. So um, anyway, I I just really hit a wall, but I've come back around, and I'm like better now, which is like a weird thing that happens, right? Where you're like you go stir crazy, and then it's sort of you work your way through it, and it sort of passes, right? Well, let me ask this because you are a person who makes your living from from uh, cr- being creative and, and doing things. Have you ha- has uh, has sort of doing the work that you've had to do, having ideas, getting yourself to work? Has that been harder, easier, same? Really hard. Yeah. Really hard. I'm finding yeah. that's the case. Yeah. Um, Comics, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones where I've still got work um, through Marvel. Some of my stuff there has been paused temporarily. Some of it has restarted. Some of it is still on pause. But like Captain Marvel has always been going this whole time. But you'd barely know it because like we had a problem on this script. And so I had to go back and try. Now I'm trying to fix it. And it's taking forever. I would say everything's taking like five to ten times longer. The good news is I've been pretty happy with the quality. Mm -hmm. Like I wrote star number five and Black Widow 3 and what Deadpool 9 something like that I wrote all of those sort of last month 
during quarantine and they all took a really long time, but I was really happy with the product, especially I think star five ended really strong. Like I was really happy with that script. So like they're taking longer to birth, but they're coming out thoughtful and hopefully good. So I don't know. I've had a little bit of freelance work, non comics freelance work that is not easy, but I've found it easier than writing full scripts mm-hmm. And so some of that's been a little easier, but like, I also had to do a pilot rewrite during this. Like I've had a lot of weird stuff I have to do and it's all been really, really hard. I also have something that I'm doing that I can't say, unfortunately, but it's really cool and I really want to nail it. And man, it's taking forever. And I, I keep telling them because they're not really used to working with me and they're being so nice about it. But I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just... I want it to be right. And it's not right yet, man. It's just not, it's not there, you know? Is it the getting started or is it sort of just like working your way through? Cause I, I found in the morning I want to do things. And then by the night I'm, I'm shot mentally for one of many reasons. And then, and then there, like my focus is gone. Yeah. I, there are times of day that are easier for me. I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm with you, and I just need to be trying to get up earlier because I would be doing better no, no, than I said. I wanted to get up early. I, oh. have, been, I have I've been staying up incredibly late and and dragging myself out of bed every morning. Well, yeah, I think well, two things are happening to me, which is that I can usually rely on pulling an all nighter or a very late nighter to sort of get something out. Mm-hmm. And that's not happening now. I think a combination of the urgency, even though I'm sure if you talk to some of the people who are waiting for something from me, they'd be like, um, it's urgent, but it doesn't feel as urgent because I know these things aren't going out and I know <laughs> artists aren't always waiting. And, you know, so there's all this other stuff that like I trick myself into saying, well, I don't have to pull an all nighter because let's, this is not going to print tomorrow. They're not going to read this tomorrow. And so like I talk myself out of it. And the other thing, which people will probably appreciate even less, is that I'm in Portland where weed is legal. <laughs> and so there's been a lot of edibles going on purely as a like survival mechanism. Because if I don't do it sometimes, I'm just so stressed all the time. Like the weed, the edibles have been like the only release to okay, let me just watch a stupid comedy and actually laugh at something and forget how bad things are and you know, how messed up it is. So, so I think there's a couple things that I'm doing that have just keeping me distracted. I'm still having good ideas. I still want to do a lot of projects, but the actual execution has become much tougher. I mean, I've always been pretty disciplined. I mean, you know, my output, I I write quite a a few books a month. So I think I'm just hitting a bit of a wall, you know, where Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, let's but, say in, 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 in normal times, you know, and maybe that's a quaint memory. I don't know. You know, like you, you are writing a lot. You're, you're putting a lot of work out. Like what was your normal sort of work day? Did you, were you organized about it? Were you, you know, did you schedule yourself or were you just getting lucky? It's not, it's not great. Um, I mean, I try to keep on a pretty reasonable schedule of being up by, you know, no later than nine because, but honestly, that's not even that great because most of my work goes to New York and it's already noon for them. So I always, that, I think that's part of why the late night thing happens. It's because if I'm trying to send someone 
something for Tuesday, I really have to finish it Monday night before I go to bed or they're not getting it on Tuesday. Like by the time you get up and mess with it and whatever. Um, so I, I try to keep pretty regular hours, but you know, I always tell people, you know, a figuring out the best working process for you and how to manage your time and find a work-life balance is like a lifelong quest, I think, for everyone. Sometimes you're doing it better than others. I also tell people I'm a terrible model. Do not follow my model. <laughs> you know, um, my boyfriend and I have like a two bedroom house that we rent. And it's on the small side. It's it feels big to us or it felt big to us because we moved from New York where everything is super small. Um, but so we share an office space, but I hate my chair and I don't like working at my desk. And so I usually end up working in the living room on like a chaise situation, which is pretty, pretty comfortable for me and good. But like, I'm so sick of being in there. That's my work time. <laughs> That's my downtime. Like I'm sick of sitting in that same position in that room, especially now. Um, so, you know, I dream of a day where I can have a dedicated office space. That's all my own. You know, I also, no offense to Adam, but he's in the office almost all day mm -hmm. and I'm sure he would happily switch off with me so that we could alternate. But, you know, it's not the best to work with someone else there. I don't you even know. work on, I mean, I have a, I have a day job. I, I have office stuff and like, and I have a really hard time working with somebody there. And I know that like yeah. when, I, when I was writing a lot more, I could kind of only do it at night when there was yeah. nobody awake and nobody around. So that must be, that's challenging. You can put your headphones on all you want, but there's, you know, there's just it. a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of distractions. It's tough. Um, and yeah, I, that's exactly why most of my most productive work happens at night mm. is because it's just, just less people online. There's less people emailing me. Mm -hmm. There's less people I can talk to, you know, usually there's less distracting things on television. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but it hasn't happened as, well, lately, because I've just like, I don't know, I just give up too easy, you know? So, so, you know, I, I, I was about to say last time we talked, but they don't need to know that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about craft a little bit, because I know, you know, that you, uh, you came to comics, actually, you know, one of them wanted to back up a little bit and, and real quick, like, how did you get started in comics? And, and I know, you know, you were, you were one of me for a while, and then you transitioned. <laughs> I was. So I went to SCAD and got a degree in sequential art. Um, and uh, then I left SCAD and or graduated and didn't try to do anything with it. I just went into working. I ended up working in administration in architecture, high end residential architecture, which was really interesting. And I liked a lot about that. But you know, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so in my spare time, I was trying to make indie comics and I was writing a novel and I was doing all this other stuff. And then I ended up moving to New York and eventually, um, I was still working in high end architecture, but eventually the recession got me the, um, so the 20, 2007, I think the ramifications of that really hit my company more like 2009 and I got laid off and I was like, okay, that's, that's it. I got to make a go of this. And I had been writing for CBR and my own blog and, 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 uh, comics should be good. And a few other places, lit reactor, stuff like that. I'd been writing for them for a while at that point, but I had this novel that was done that I hadn't, I'd only sent out a few letters about it. Like I just hadn't really tried. And I was like, Nope, now we're going to try. And so I just put this full force push behind it. 
Um, I did do some consulting work for my old boss after that, um, including like there was a point where I was going back to work like three or four days a week, um, even, but it was never full time. I never worked full time again after I got, after I got laid off. So did you keep all your fancy work clothes? Um, for a while, (laughs) for a while, not now (laughs) I would definitely need a new wardrobe if I have to go back into the regular workforce. Um, so yeah, I, um, so then I just started pushing and something worked and something didn't, and it took way longer than I wanted it to, but eventually it, it culminated in, you know, the first thing that got picked up for me of comics was the girl, um, I'm sorry, heart in a box with dark horse. And that was Meredith McLaren. Um, she did everything for that. She drew it, she inked it, she colored it, she did the letters And, um, it actually, so I think that was in like 2013 that that got picked up. So it was after I published my first novel, the girl who would be King, but before my second novel story killer. And, but by that didn't come out until after Jem had started up because you know, it took so long to, it takes a long time to Hmm. draw ink color and letter a whole graphic novel. So Um, so yeah, that came out the same year as, as Jem started. And I also got the Captain Marvel and the Carol core co-writing gig. That was my first thing at Marvel. So yeah, that was sort of, you just, you just covered a lot of time there. And I, and I do, I like, I, I want to make sure that, because it's interesting because the way that you, you, you said it, uh, you know, made it sound like, oh, these all things all just came together. But I I know that that's (laughs) not the case. I mean, you really went for it. In terms of like making a long long term commitment to something that is, let's be honest, a little risky, um, you know, to sort of work in in comics, and you know, from the point where you've got that sort of first graphic novel being worked on to when you're getting steady work writing gem, like what does that period look like for you? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I was borrowing money from my parents because we were living in New York. It was incredibly expensive. Um, Manhattan or Brooklyn and or Queens, M- Manhattan. Oh, we wow. Were living, yeah. Amazing. We were living on the upper, yeah, we were living on the upper East side and, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was rough, man. It was, uh, it was a while. I mean, my boyfriend was working in, in film and television, so he had a pretty steady income, but he couldn't cover me, not in Manhattan. Yeah. Plus I had plenty of like school loan and credit card debt that I was dealing with. And that had only gotten worse, of course, being out of work. And so I was getting these, you know, my parents were helping me out. Gosh, they were giving me money here and there for probably off and on for two years because, you know, and, and all credit to them. Thank God I was getting these small wins. Like mm-hmm. I did that Kickstarter for my novel and, you know, it was a huge success, modest now by Kickstarter standards, but mm-hmm. at the time it was like $26,000. And so that looked like a real thing. Like, oh, she's actually starting to make it. But man, it took longer than any of us thought. It was very hard. And I mean, listen, there's a whole process with Marvel to even be able to send Marvel your ideas and talk to them about pitching or trying to get work there. Like before you can even do that, assuming you've already done the work and you have the ideas, you have to sign a form. Like, so there's even a process to get to the form to sign. So, you know, this stuff takes a long time and you have to keep hammering at it. It's, it's a, it's a horrible cliche, but you know, the only way to succeed is to keep going until you stop failing, you know, like, that's the only way it works. It, there's a there's a real like not being smart enough to stop and not being dumb enough to quit 
in yeah. equal measure. And I, I yeah. find that that balance is, it, I mean, so when you get to the point where you are able to do it full time and feel as secure as it's possible to feel in comics, you know, you've, you've won something. I mean, you've, you've, you've earned that thing to get there. And I like, I don't, I don't, I feel like there's nobody, they probably are, but I can't think of a lot of people who have dumb lucked into comics and didn't sort of work for it or earn it and deserve it in some really significant way. Well, especially because, and I don't think this is certainly not a secret to you. I doubt it's a secret to a single person who is listening, but you don't make good money in comics. Like, <laughs> so unlike trying to break into film or television where you're like, Oh, if only I can get in, if only I can sell a thing, like it's a game changer. Well, that's not the case in comics. Like I've been very lucky in that once I broke in, I, I mean, I didn't have completely consistent work and like all my problems were over, but certainly once I was doing more at Marvel, they've kept me very well fed in that way. But comics is still something that doesn't make you enough money that, you know, I don't know, the page rates of old don't really exist. So unless you're someone huge, you can't just do two books a month and like have and also have money for your taxes and your health insurance that you have to pay. And, oh, I hope you're putting some away for your savings account because freelance work is inconsistent at best. And, oh, hey, what about a 401k? Like comics is not that kind of job where you're going to be protected in that way. So it's like, it's like getting into the NFL, but for a gig job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like exactly. you've beaten out thousands of people and now you better keep running. Well, and you didn't like it. I guess it's like if you get in the NFL, but you're like one of the last guys in, like there's no big money deal there, yeah. you know? <laughs> Like there's no, there's no, I mean, there might be a payoff down the line. Like you I'm know, you famous sell. at a table if it's in the right place filled with people. <laughs> That's what I like to say. I like to say I'm just famous enough with a very small group of people that, um, it's, it's really flattering and nice and also annoying. Like it's, uh -huh. it's just enough that I have to like worry about some sort of crazy people and also not have the money to protect myself properly, um, but also get a lot of love from people just unprompted for things I've done. Like, it's such a weird experience, you know? I but do. like most people, most people have no idea who I am, and rightly so. And because I'm so reclusive and I don't do video interviews and stuff and panels and signings, um, most people that are fans wouldn't know me if they shook my hand in the street. Mm -hmm. So... It's a very weird life in that way. I don't think that's such a bad. I don't think that's such a bad way to go. I mean, like I've this, you know, the same sort of like weird level of notoriety. It's not now, like like ten years ago, in New York, I could be on the street and like people would sort of recognize me sometimes. It's not like everybody. It's just yeah. like every ten thousand yeah. persons are like, hey, do yeah. I? What do I know you from the thing? But like. <laughs> Like, so the, this has, I've had a good and a bad. One good was I was in uh, Union Square and somebody was like, hey, I just want to say I would love the show and do whatever. And my mom was with me and I was like, yes. And then another time it was 1 a.m. in the bath bathroom in Grand Central and somebody came up to say that to me. It was a very different experience. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so that's about it. That's like my full sighting, you know, pretty much. There's been a little more. That's but, um, that's more than I've had. Yeah. I mean, listen, until I met the people at Marvel uh, a couple years ago when I went to my first retreat, until then, for all anyone in the world except for Sophie Campbell knew, I could have just been 
like 15 cats in a trench coat. Like, <laughs> like nobody knew, you know, um, I had met Sophie Campbell for lunch one time. And so she was like the one person who sort of, cause she'd come to New York for a con. And, um, so she was like the one person who could be like, no, no, I've, I've met her. She's a real human being. Um, so did you not go to any shows like when you were in New York or I never did it. I've you never, never done to New York comic con. No, I went to SDCC when I was a kid, when I was like 16, so which was a completely different experience than it is today, yes. from what I can tell. Um, totally different world. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, you're not missing. I, New York Comic Con is, is a miserable experience. It's Yeah, like, that's not the one I'd go to. I mean, I like, it, it, like, a, like imagine the street of Manhattan, but everybody's in costume and in even less space. It was... I mean, the problem with it is it's full of New Yorkers. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it comes from a lot of things, me not wanting to go to these things or me not being able to do. Some of it is physical. I hurt my knee a couple years back and it's played havoc with my life. And it just, it's not that feasible for me to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to hike through a big mm -hmm. space and I'm going to lug a bunch of books. And it's just not that reasonable and i'm also i don't like to talk about how old i am because i'm a woman but um <laughs> but i was trying to figure out if that's a personal thing or a social thing and i think it was a little of both i think it's both I it was a little protesty but a little also like but also it's a thing yeah it's a thing and um i so i'm no spring chicken mm. like i'm not 25 i'm like oh yeah let's run through a convention center to get to a thing no i'm over that bullshit I'm way too old to run anywhere or be that excited about anything. So I've got a very like grouchy, reclusive, uh, I, I wish we could say genius. Like if I was a genius, then it would all be excused, right? I'd be like, oh, no, no, it's okay that she never comes out. Um, I was telling um, I, my friend, uh, Matt Rosenberg, who I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. he was in town uh, in Portland just a little while before this all started and uh, this quarantine stuff started and we had dinner and he was talking about all the people who were excited, to, who were like, oh, Kelly's here. Where is she? What <laughs> He's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to go meet her for dinner. She's not really here at the event. And they were like, oh, my God. And I told them, I was like, see, but now if they meet me, like, there's no upside now. Like, I've <laughs> waited too long. The hype is too high. There's only disappointment if I start meeting with people. And he looked at me for a minute and he was like, I think you're right. And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's interesting though because I think um, like so much of comics uh, success, I was going to say, is is based on sort of a, a cult of personality in a way, and you know, a lot of the big names have not gotten away from there. I, I think of like you know Grant Morrison or something like that, where sort of you know half of his thing is that he's Grant Morrison. And half of, in a lot of it is like you should go to shows and meet all the people and yeah. you've gotten through without doing a lot of that. And it's kind of, yeah, that's kind of impressive. Thank you. I think, um, I think I probably could have ascended a little more quickly, um, initially, um, like getting in and breaking in. Um, I remember feeling very sort of jealous, um, in a, in a not mean way, in just an envious way, right, of um, Marguerite Bennett, because we were sort of hitting at the same time. And she was really, from my perspective, she was really doing a lot better than me. She was sort of making it happen. She was really making a name for herself. She was writing a lot of books. And um, I was doing okay, but she was just doing a lot better. And honestly, 
uh, you know, she was someone who was a lot better at, she was, I, I think less so, I think she does less of it now, rightly so, but, you know, she was going to the drinks at the bar that everyone goes to, and she was shaking the hands at the conventions and going to the signings. She was doing all that stuff. So I think there's a real argument for you can, if you're willing to do that stuff, it's a definite upside. Um, not to mention just all the friendships you'll make and the people you'll know and 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 knowing someone in real life is so much more real than than even though I really value my friendships for people I've met and those I haven't met I think there's a real tangible quality to meeting people in real life and and connecting with them in that way so I I don't advocate for my way but if for whatever reason you can't do that stuff it can be done I did it I did it without going to a single con without going out to drinks without going to dinners or lunches honestly that's amazing (laughs) <laughs> it re- like it, it really that's that's not like a small thing it's not it's like just below the guy who walked uh, along the, the high wire between the twin towers it is <laughs> i wish yeah. i wish um i mean i think you know but let's let's be real i did different things and one of the reasons i do so many podcast interviews is because i feel like i'm trying to make up for not being at other things and so this is a way that i can at least connect with fans you know but um you know i like you said that i used to do what you do and i think that was sort of my take on it right i was interviewing a lot of people through a podcast review podcast that we did um and through my essay column she has no head um i was also connecting with creators when i was writing reviews a little bit too that's a little weirder but um, it was still happening. <laughs> um, but you know, I interviewed, I mean, that was how I ended up being able to pitch with Marvel was I interviewed Janine Schaefer and some other incredible ladies like Lauren Senkovich a couple times I talked to them. And so I ended up sort of building these relationships and, you know, listen, I had to be charming and not be a dick. Um, cause people don't want to deal with people like that. Um, but I had a good pitch and they didn't hate me and I was really polite and professional and, you know, hopefully charming. And so eventually I was able to sort of wedge my foot in a small opening and then just slowly edge it all the way open. And, uh, it worked. It worked. So what was, uh, remind me that like the timeline of sort of, you have that conversation, you sort of open the door to be like, Hey, can I pitch something? Can I, you know, I have some ideas to, getting in there. And I, I know that this was a process and that, you know, to the point where you actually have something with your name on it, that's been published. What is that? What does that path look like for you? I think, I think what must've happened was it was in like 2012 and 2013 where I was doing this book, big push. I'm sorry, my cat Monarch, shut up, shut up, bud. I don't want you on this cast. Um, so they, so they, I think it was 2012, 2013, and I had, so I had this novel, which I wasn't sure anyone cared about, but it was about superheroes, so maybe it was a thing. I didn't know. I honestly still don't know if that helped me at all. I mean, maybe it helped me look legit or like I was serious. I don't know. I'm guessing Um a little bit maybe. Um, and then I had parts of heart in a box. Like I could send them like, it was even like a huge sample at that point. Like it was like 90 pages if they wanted to read it, but it wasn't finished and it wasn't published. And so like, that was all I could really show anyone. 
Um, oh, and I'd also done a four page short, um, that had incredible Stephanie Hahn artwork, uh, for the womanthology book that came out in, I want to say 2013. So it was like all I sort of had to my name to show anyone I could do this. And then I was sort of developing a pitch, the big pitch that I was developing for Marvel that I didn't know how to pitch to them yet was called Hawkeye Investigations. And it was sort of a, a spin out of, of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, which is a terrible idea, by the way, to try <laughs> to pitch that as someone who's a nobody. Um, but I was just really sure that I could write that character and that I had a good idea and a good approach. Um, and so in the process of interviewing and meeting and sort of building a vague relationship with Janine Schaefer, she, I asked her if I could pitch something to Marvel and how that worked. And so she got me the form. And so I want to say that happened in like, I want to say that happened in like 2014 because it was 2015 when I got the, the email from, from Sana about the co-writing gig on Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. And she had the pitch at that point, but we never really, I, we, we talked about it after I started working. Like we didn't want to put the cart before the horse, but because we were working together, we talked about it a little bit here and there. Um, but I still don't know if like she liked the pitch and she liked a gem and that's why she called me or if just Kelly Sudakana said, what about Kelly Thompson? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really had that conversation with them. So whatever it was that happened, it definitely worked out. And in the process of writing the Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps book, um, we started talking about this Hawkeye investigations pitch. So that was in 2015 that, Hawkeye book came out, I believe, December 2016, mm-hmm. or maybe it was January 2017, something like that. So it's you a can long see, time. like, yeah, a long time. This does not happen overnight. And some of that, and and in the meantime, in the interim, I wrote the Captain Marvel Carol Core book, and then I wrote, I started writing A Force, and I had pitched for Thunderbolts that never got off the ground. Um, I pitched for that Hellcat book that Kate Leth ended up doing. Like, so there was all this other stuff sort of happening, but Hawkeye was the thing that I'd sort of tried to get in on. And it took, you know, a year and a half to two years before that was a reality. And that's a long time, but is it for somebody who's a complete nobody to get to launch a book called Hawkeye, like, you know, with a lot of, a lot of support from Marvel, like that's, that's a pretty big deal. So under two years to get that to happen. Um, you know, you'll take it. Yeah, I will take it. And I think anyone that's listening who has designs on doing that, like that's not that long, like given, (laughs) (laughs) given the scope of what it was, like prepare yourself for the long haul. Like you really got to keep fighting it. You got to keep, it's very Sisyphusian. Is that a word where you're like rolling that boulder up the hill? Sisyphian? I don't know. I don't know what you're saying now. I don't know, but I know what the I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know the... if either of us are right or wrong, but the the <laughs> meaning is there. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think I, you know, like I'm trying to think of who it was, but like you know, somebody. I I've, I know somebody. I can't remember specifically. It was like they they were nominated for best newcomer, or best you know breakout star. That Eisner for the they they changed the name of it. But like I've been working in comics for ten years, and like that's not unusual. Or yeah, I remember yeah. Uh, I love the story, but um, I was with Chris Burnham uh, at the DC booth, 
uh, in San Diego one day and he was just, he couldn't get a meeting. So he was dropping his published Marvel work into the submission slot at DC. <laughs> just because he's like, I, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And you know, That's so he'd crazy. been out of the while. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So no, That's three funny. years isn't, I mean, three is a long time, but it's not a long time in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, and, and I do think that, depending on what happens after you sort of get in there. Like, I feel like I've been very lucky. Uh, my career has really skyrocketed from Hawkeye forward. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be like, I know the sales mean a lot, but I, I can't imagine that, you know, Hawkeye maybe did well, but I don't think it, I assume it didn't. Yeah, I mean, it got, it got canceled. It didn't do that. Exactly. Well, right? Yeah, right. Um, uh, and you don't even knows what that means anymore, but still. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm not a sales force to be reckoned with by any means. I mean, there are certain things like I seem to have really found a, a niche, a niche on Captain Marvel mm-hmm. that, it's doing really well. It's doing better than it's traditionally done. People are responding to it. So we're all really excited about that. But like, you know, my Deadpool book that I love so much, it came out with decent first numbers, but not great. You know, is that my fault? Is that people are tired of number ones? I I don't know. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows what it is? Right. Um, but I mean, let's not mince words. Some of it is that I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. If you can do your job, if you're good, I, I think I'm good. I, I believe it. I think I'm a good writer. I work really hard. I care a lot. I put a lot of effort in. I try really hard. And until recently, I'm pretty good at meeting my deadlines, even when I've got a really <laughs> full calendar. And they need they need women who can do that, like mm-hmm. plainly. Um, so I don't think that's hurt me. Um, and it honestly, it doesn't bother me because I'd put my work up against anyone. And there's a long history of people who look like me with the body parts I have of sort of not being able to get their foot in the door at companies like that. Um, comics, we all know, has, has still is a boys club. And it's 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 much more inclusive today than it's been. But, you know, um, it's it's great for me if that's helped. Um, I hope it helps more women coming up behind me. Um, that, that they need that diversity. Um, so I'm sure that's helped. Do you feel I like think, because the way that is, do you feel like you're in competition against other women creators more than men create male creators? Yes. And I hate that. I feel that way. I hate yeah. that. It's the, one of those questions. Like I hate to ask it, but I yeah. know that that's a thought that must be, it's, you know, because they think, well, we should put a woman on this or we should, it's, you know, it's totally a thing. And honestly, I don't, it pisses me off that I'm made to feel that way. It pisses me off that I'm weak enough to fall into that. And I totally fall into it. Um, and, but I don't even really blame anyone. Like I, I know they need women. I know they want women and they want women's voices on certain characters. They need them on certain characters and I want more women working, but there is a thing where you're like, well, if I turn this down, I guess so-and-so will be writing it. Like you just, you know, and, and you have feelings about that, like one way or the other. And I've, I've worked really hard on my own self to try to work through that problem because I can't control, I can only control how I feel about it and how I react to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been really trying to, work on myself, work on my flaws, work on my petty insecurities and 
recognize that we're not in competition <laughs> with one another. Mm-hmm. There's room, there's room for all of us and you know, it's fine. But yeah, I mean, the industry does sort of pit you against one another. Well, you know, it's just, there's a weird, um, uh, like a, a, it, there's a push pull against the idea of like having representation and having diversity. And then the weird question of like, well, so that you only put people who are like the characters that they're writing. And I feel like yeah. it creates like opportunities and closes doors all at the same time. And it, it's such a strange, like you're trying to do the right thing socially. And then it creates these other sort of little eddies and pools that people get stuck into. I and think I, the, the problem is in, until you have more diversity across the board, not just in women, but a diversity of all kinds, that's going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. Um, until there are, three black women writing Marvel comics every month until you have that. It's always going to be better to have a black woman writing Riri Mm -hmm. because we need that voice. If there's more diversity, then it matters less, I think, because you're getting it in more play. It's more spread out. And so, you know, so you've got a black woman writing Deadpool and you've got a black woman writing Captain America and, you know, whatever else. And so maybe now it doesn't matter as much that a black woman is writing Riri, even though a black woman obviously brings more to that voice or Mm -hmm. can potentially bring more to that voice. As writers, we never want to cut ourselves off from thinking we can write a character. Some people are just going to more authentically be able to do it than you, but you still don't want to say you can't do it because, you know, you need to be able to write anything. If I can only write me, Mm -hmm. we've got a problem because I am super boring. Nobody is going (laughs) to buy that comic book. So, but I just think until the biggest problem with the industry to me in that regard, like if we're not talking about sales models and things like that, is getting us up to that diversity minimum bar met where suddenly anyone can be on any book because we have enough people putting their thoughts in that are from all walks of life. And so it just sort of naturally diversifies the whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It does. It it shows you... I just think it's interesting because I can say right now, you know, the the creative makeup of the sort of big two mainstream stuff creators is is very more much more diverse than it was ten certainly twenty years it's, ago. It's so much better, and so is the content. I mean, back when I wrote, she has no head. You know, even I guess it's more than five years ago since the last column I wrote, but 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 like. When I started that column, you know, the the concept of that column was women in comics, just a very broad base. (laughs) But it would be really hard to find books some weeks. And that would completely not be a problem now. Well, pre-quarantine. I mean, every week there'd be books about women, by women, for women, like headlining women. Like that happens every week all the time. And it's, it's easy to forget that. Even in 2004, 2005, um, I'm sorry, 2004, 2005, I've forgotten what freaking decade it is. That's, even not, in, that's not unusual <laughs> right now. Even in 2014, 2015, that was just starting to finally really be a thing. Um, and so as much as I feel critical of, of companies for not being diverse enough, mm-hmm. it's important to recognize well, I think we're actually moving forward yeah. pretty well. And also as you sort of, I mean, I guess as you like, that's changed and that's for the better. And then you're at this point now where you're like, okay, that's happened. Oh, there's, there's all this room to go in terms of, 
I mean, what we're talking about. So people aren't getting pigeonholed by the thing they were trying to represent in the first place. Which yeah, I, like, you know, yeah. like like you'd be annoyed if I mean maybe it's happening, but like if all you ever get pitched are girls in comics, you're like oh, I can I can do more yeah. than this. You know, is you know the same thing as any for sure. For sure. I mean, that was one of many reasons I was excited to get the Deadpool offer because most of my books have been sort of chick books, um, not not chick in content, but in in character. Um, and some of that is me being pigeonholed, and some of that is just what I find I like. Yeah, like, and then that's the know, other side. I, you know, I've asked yeah. people of like, you know, do you feel like you do this kind of character a lot? And he's like, I, I think I talked to Brian Hill about this, and I said, do you. you mm-hmm. are, are you, do you like doing all black characters? You think you get them? He goes, it's both. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't yeah. want to keep doing this. And other times I do. And, and I, yeah. you know, it's a weird position to be in, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's like when, when someone, an editor, when I'm working on a book and an editor's like, so, you know, who else <laughs> are we going to have in this book or whatever? Like nine times out of 10, my list is a ton of female characters. And it's not just that I'm more interested in them and I want to give them, leading roles and and show people how interesting they are it's also a lot of times that they're just more available and you can have more flexibility with them you know um and that's here's an example of a not gendered way in which this works when i was writing a force i had this really great story i wanted to tell about she hulk i was so excited about it i was so excited about it that when i was such a rookie back then when i sort of pitched it to them I, it didn't even occur to me they were going to say no because I was like, it's so good. How could they not want to tell this Jen story? I'm so excited about it. And then they were like, yeah, we can't do it. And I was like, why? Why? What's happening? And they're like, well, you know, she's got her own book and they're, they've got their own plans for things that need to be done. And I was like, oh, shit. And so then I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And it's like nobody cared what was happening with Dazzler. And so I was like, okay, well let's write a really great Dazzler story in here because nobody is paying attention to this character right now. So there's a lot more wiggle room to do something interesting. And so I find that happens a lot more with female characters than male characters, um, just on average, you know, I think, I think Brian Bendis, you know, perfected that, that like, well, who's this ridiculous character? Nobody cares about and bring it up. Yeah. Let me make him amazing. And now he's everybody's favorite. Yeah, for sure. Technique. It's a good technique. So had you always, like, like had your goal been, I, I want to work for Marvel, I want to do those characters and those stories? For sure. I mean, you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone else just recently, and I was like, I don't – when I look back at, like, being a teenager, and even when I went to SCAD to study comics, I, I don't know if I ever thought I was really going to be working at Marvel or DC. Like, maybe it was just too – high a rung to sort of imagine so like even when I imagine myself in comics I just sort of imagine myself doing indie comics you know I I didn't even though I'm like yeah I would love to write Rogue and Gambit one day I was I wasn't like a person who was like yes I'm gonna do that and I'll die trying to do that like I I don't know it just wasn't really like that yes Marvel has a lot of my favorite characters you know the X-Men was what I sort of broke my teeth on that's not a phrase. I'm making it up. Um, it's it's what I sort of came in on and and really fell in love with as a teenager. So like they had my heart, and when they sort of let me in, I mean I think I was just in shock for a while. Like okay, here I go. Um, but I always knew I could do this. 
mm-hmm. like just sort of the way my brain works. Like there are also a couple of weird, funny stories about me trying to be a writer as a kid and my parents who are incredibly supportive, wonderful people who don't have a creative bone split between them. And so this stuff can be sort of hard for them to understand. Like I was writing something. I think I was probably writing the girl who would be King, which my parents knew was just like a, a novel about two, um, two girls with two teenage girls with superpowers. And, um, my dad was like, well, I don't understand. Why don't you just write something, you know, something more respectable? Why don't you write something like, you know, Schindler's list? And I was like, well, I was like, I'm not saying you have to be Jewish to write that, but I do think it would help for starters. Like I don't have any of those experiences, dad. I'm a middle-class white girl. Like why, why would that be what I write? Like I'm writing what I know. I'm writing angsty teenagers, you know, and then I'm writing superpowers because that's what I love. And so there's this weird thing where they don't get it, but there were a couple, there are these couple clarifying moments for me as a kid my mom was trying to talk to me about writing and like what, how it worked and how I like, and so I'm like, like 12, I'm no, like 14 at this time. And I said, well, I was like, the characters talk to me and she was really worried. Mm -hmm. She was like, what does that mean? And I was like, I'm just, you know, if I get in the story, they just sort of tell me what to do. Like sometimes I want them to do this, but it's not right. And so they do this. And she looked at me like she was going to have to check me into some kind of asylum. And we didn't talk about it for like weeks in my mind. It's weeks. I don't know for sure if it's weeks, uh, weeks later, we're sitting there on the couch watching, I don't know, Oprah, something, one of those type of shows. And they were interviewing Mary Higgins Clark, who for people who don't know is a very famous mystery writer my it was one of the things my mom and I who do not have a lot in common shared was that we both loved Mary Higgins Clark novels. We'd read many of the same ones Hmm. and she's talking to Oprah or whoever. And she says, (laughs) she says, well, the characters tell me what to do. She's like, as long as I, you know, do the right things early on when I'm building the story, they really take over and tell me what to do. And my mom does this like slow head turn towards me. (laughs) Like I'm an, like I'm an alien. And she was like, I can't believe she just said that. That's what you said. And I was like, yeah, we're writers. (laughs) And so there was this incredible, like, like I'm the greatest at 14, right? That Mary Higgins Clark and I think the same way about writing and Hey, she's successful. So maybe I can be too. So there was a lot of confidence at different times in my life that like, yeah, I could do this. And I was meant to do this. Um, but you know, you really got to hold on to that shit because yeah, there are, there are many times when it's not going that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I have forgotten the question, by the way. As, as did I. I was, but I was right <laughs> in there. I was, I was like, well, I'm not going to get in, I'm not going to get involved in this. She's on a roll and it's, I'm not ap- going to get, it's apropos. get in the way of the great Mary Higgins Clark story. It's well, interesting because it'd just be like, I hear the characters talk in my head. And when you said that, I went, yeah, that's how it works. You know, yeah, it, it is. Right? I know. <laughs> If That's you what you want. It, if it doesn't if work you, that way, it's much harder. Oh, my God. Well, people are always asking me about dialogue. Like, oh, you're really good at dialogue. How do you do it? And I was like, honestly, 
I don't do shit. Like as long as I built the characters correctly and or did my research mm-hmm. so that I understand their voice in my head, if I get into the scene, the easiest part of that is the dialogue because I just know, I just know what a conversation sounds like. And if I know the two people involved, they just, they just do it. They just do it for me. 100%. It's amazing. That was, I love it. That was always the easiest part for me. Like the, yeah. the everything around it, it was much harder but the part for sure yeah, it's you know whatever for else sure. it is but like having the people talk and knowing what they sound like that's yeah that's the best part that's fun that's you know yeah cool all right i have to get back on track to something and i don't remember where i was so i can do this because uh, i have experience <laughs> so here we go um so when you, you started you started off with um you know you wrote a novel and then to me the comic book script is one of the it's it's a really hard way to write something so like, how did you sort of get yourself in a position where you sort of knew how to write for comics? Was it a long process or are you still using whatever weird method you started with? Or, Well, when I was a teenager, I used to just write in my school notebooks. So I would just like, but I wouldn't write, I wouldn't really break it out by panels. It was just to be on our theme of dialogue. It was just all dialogue tags. So it was like, Josh colon and then your line and then Kelly colon and then your line. And it was pages and pages and pages and pages of that. Um, and uh, so yes, I have an obsession with dialogue and then I didn't ever really, because I was so visual because I was sort of an artist, I think I was visualizing how it would go, but I wasn't really understanding that. Oh, and I should write that's panel one. And here's what's happening where they're saying that like, I never took it that far, not until I got to college and I was taking a, while I was taking my graphic design classes, I was also taking a comic book night class from the local guy who ran a shop called captain spiffies. (laughs) And he had a little, um, he had a little zine he did like yearly or twice a year. And he, he taught a class out of the shop at night and I was going to that. And so I was learning more. It was more about art, Mm -hmm. but I was learning a little bit more about how it all works. And, and then of course that got kicked up a huge notch at SCAD where I was actually turning in scripts and, you know, understanding and learning how all of that worked. Did they use uh, like a a script format at SCAD? You know, they didn't really, I sort of think they should, maybe they do these days. I don't know. Um, they didn't have a hard and fast format. What I ended up using when I got out of school and I was working on heart in a box, I dark horse, I wanted to submit something to, and they had, and I don't know if they have it anymore, but they had a sample of what their formatting is. Really? And I've never yeah. heard that before. They have a, yeah. like a script so, format, like sort of yeah. style. Wow. Yeah, they did back mm-hmm. then. And, uh, well, if you look at one of my scripts, it's pretty close to that. (laughs) I've tweaked it a little bit over the years. Like, you know, especially once I started working with Marvel where I'd sometimes get sent scripts for things, I got to see what other people were doing. Mostly I've just kept my own stuff, but occasionally you see someone doing something and you're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Um, so I've made a few tweaks along the way, but mostly I use the dark horse, um, with their format and it's pretty basic. Um, I haven't really had any complaints does it work um, like i always tend i always worked in like a screenplay format basically but i know there's other people who just do it in word and it's you know one i two, just do three. it i just do it in word and the reason i do it in word it's funny if we're talking about this i was just talking about it yesterday is that because i'll often not work from page one mm-hmm. if i know the ending that i'm working towards i'll often go and write the ending and maybe then i go back to the beginning or maybe i write the scene before that and like sort of work backwards in blocks 
But I feel very constrained to not do that in scripting. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you're using Final Draft, I mean, yeah, sure, you can go right page 80. Mm -hmm. But then you got to like highlight that and like (laughs) be like, oh, yeah, insert the first 70 pages or, you know, whatever. Like I I don't find skipping around easy in comics Hmm. uh, or I'm sorry, in in, uh, television and, and screenplays. And because of that, I find I get hung up a lot more. Yeah. Like if I get stuck in comics, I'm like, ah, let me skip to page 18 because I know what the ending is. So let me write that and maybe that'll loosen some things up and then I'll go back. And, you know, sometimes you have to tweak the ending more than you'd like or do more revisions if you do that. But as long as I can keep moving, that's the important thing, right? And that's really interesting. Yeah. So I'd never thought about that it way, that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would never try to write a screenplay in Word. You should be using, for anyone at home, use Final Draft or Scrivener or whatever you're using. I'm not recommending you use Word, but I just find that toggle with comics is a lot easier um, because I feel very free. Eh, It's just a Word document. Who cares? In Final Draft, I'm like, oh, this is serious. This is a real script. It's funny because I liked screenplay stuff because of the dialogue. I thought it was faster. I mean, that's probably because I just didn't know how to do like macros or whatever in Word to make it do that. But I loved hitting tab, get the name out of the way, and then write the next line with the slowest. So that keeps that conversation going. This is why I did it that way. I mean, maybe it's just because I've written so many comics at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't dislike that. <laughs> I, I Listen, Josh, I, I've written a lot of comics and no. I'm going to have to cut you off there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, it no, that no. way. It's, your, it it's, that co- way. <laughs> it's correct. I know you didn't, but... <laughs> it's what you should say. And I would be like, yes. No, no, no. no, I mean, I just, you know, I don't, even though I've written big, long, you know, I've written multiple pilots and now multiple screenplays in final draft, which makes me feel like I should, it should be secondhand. I still feel like I stumble on some of that stuff and I get annoyed by, it. even though I agree with you, it's all smart. It's all shortcuts that are there to help you. And nine times out of 10, they probably do. But I'm like, sometimes I just want the slow way, I guess. I don't know. And I'm just your process and comics just come so naturally at this point that I feel like I just want everyone to get out of my way. Um, but yeah. So let me break it down then a little more, you know, like you're approaching writing an issue or even an arc for the first time. Like, where is it? Do you have a process where you sort of do it in the same way each time? Or, you know, like, do you plan out? Like I always used to, figured out what the story is and then I'd sort of write down one to 20 it was 22 then but it's 20 now you know like here's what's going to happen on these pages to get there and then script there I saw an interview with Mark Miller the other day where he called it 24 pages and I was like what what time (laughs) what time are you living in rich rich old man Uh, meanwhile he's not that much older than me so let's not get crazy but it was was funnier it was funnier to call him a rich old man sure Um, anyway it was a very interesting interview by the way it was on the kayfabe uh, cartoonist kayfabe oh, yeah. thing, Ed Piscor and um, Jim Rugg. Anyway, um, so because of time constraints, I do almost everything on the computer now, which I sort of hate because I miss pen and paper and that tactile thing. If I'm stuck, I still go back to pen and paper, um, usually for brainstorming stuff. I do... Um, I can't remember what they call it. It's got a name like where you're, where you're like free. It's like, it's very messy. Free which association works kind of thing. Yeah. It's sort of a free association thing. So you're like, 
you like write Deadpool and you put him in a little circle and then you draw a line out from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a name. What's wrong with me? My the, brain the, is broken. I can't remember his name. The guy who did community had like a thing like that with bubbles. And like uh, bubbles had to connect. I yeah. I mean, he's got a story circle thing. I that's mean, it. honestly, he's got a story circle thing. That's cool, which is different. And I have used that. It's very cool. I'm just going to look this up. Okay. <laughs> Stay with me, people. Um, if it takes too long, I'll just edit this part out and it'll sound like you were super fast. It'll sound like I was amazing. Yeah. Wow. She um, really had that information to hand and knew exactly the search term. She, she really term. knew. Oh, I think it's called mind mapping, which is why I oh. never remember because it's dumb. It's a dumb name for something. It's, it's, it a, it's, a, called, it's like, a Kirby villain. Uh, it sh- <laughs> exactly. It should be called like messy circle tree thing. Um so so it's like, you know, you you write Deadpool, you draw a line out to it, and then you write Monster King, and then you circle that, and then you're like, well, what does one Monster King mean? And then you're like, I'm going to need a whole bunch of fucking monsters, and you put a circle on that, and you're like, where do they live? Oh, it's Long Island, and oh, no, it's Staten Island. And and the reason it's helpful to me is because it's messy. I, I'm a very neat, controlled person for the most part. So, like, if I make a list and I fuck it up, I want to like scratch it all up and start over. And the mind mapping thing is very messy. It's intended to be, I find it very freeing, especially because I'm sort of a controlled person. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm stuck on something and, or if I'm plotting something big, I do use pen and paper. I use a Moleskine book. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a million black ones. You can't tell the difference from any of them, um, which is frustrating, but otherwise I really like, it. <laughs> um, and then everything else I do on the computer, um, you, <sighs> depending on what you're doing with Marvel, they may want a really detailed sort of issue breakdown summary thing. They would love to have outlines every time um, they give that up when they realize you're not going to do it. Um, so I just tend to outline for myself. Um, you know, if I've got, if I've done the rough summary, which I want to, by the way, yeah. it's always better to have it. It's just sometimes time doesn't allow you to have it as flushed out as you'd like. Um, so then usually just at this point, again, to save time, usually just in the front of my script document, I'll just, you know, I'll look at the, I'll look at the rough summary document and I'll be like, oh, okay, these are the things that are supposed to happen here. And then I'll like break it down by page. So I'm like, Pages one through three is this fight scene. Pages four through six is this conversation, blah, 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 like that. So I'll just break it down roughly like that. Sometimes if I'm really struggling, I'll go the extra mile and I'll like copy that from the outline and then I'll put it on the actual pages that it belongs on. So like Mm -hmm. pages one through three are action scenes. So I'll like copy and paste action scene on those three pages just to like keep me. Sometimes it's, I mean, like in writing, I feel like anything you can eliminate that's going to cause you to stop to go online, to look something up, to go get a drink of water, to whatever the thing is. If there's anything you can do to like take steps out of the process, I want to do it because every step, every additional step is a chance for me to get distracted. Oh, what's Twitter saying? Oh, I got an email. Oh, I, this, that, the other. And momentum is everything. So even just having to scroll up, to the first page of where you're writing to be like, well, now what are these pages supposed to be? Like even that can slow you down in my experience. So sometimes if I'm having trouble with a script or I'm really needing to move fast, I'll even move the outline onto the actual pages. But for the most part, it's just in the front. 
So when you're scripting at that point where you're actually writing the script, are you 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 have it all planned out? You're not making it up in the script as you go, unless it changes. Yeah, rarely am I without a map. Mm-hmm. I learned the very very hard way um, <laughs> on that one time, which was my novel, The Girl Who Would Be King, which is the first novel I ever, first long form thing I ever wrote. And I didn't really have a map. <laughs> um, and I got so lost in the woods, man. And I mean, we're talking like a year of lost in the woods. Like, and maybe that's, maybe things happen the way they're supposed to happen for a reason. Like, um, you know, for example, I'm always really excited that Kickstarter wasn't around when I was 25. Because mm-hmm. who knows what I would have published that would have been terrible. Because I wasn't ready yet, you know. Um, Heart in a Box is a really great example of not being ready because it's a book that if if I'd completely had my shit together and I really pushed hard, like maybe that could have come out in my late 20s through Kickstarter or something. And it would have been fine. Um, I mean, if I got Meredith even, mm-hmm. it would have been okay, but because I was forced to sit on it for years, it, it metamorphosed from this story about romantic love, which is fine. We all love romantic love to this story that was about all kinds of love, including, you know, familial love between family and just a really, a much broader idea in the best of ways. Um, a lot more resonant, I think for more people, people who aren't necessarily interested in just love stories um, or romantic love stories, I should say. Um, And so I've always been, you know, when, if you took to me, if you talked to me back then, I would have been like, why can't I get this out? Like, I I just want it published. I want these things and I want them in my life now. And in retrospect, it's, it's such a better book by being forced to wait for me to become a better writer for me to become older and slightly wiser, you know, like, so were you reworking it that whole time? Not that whole time. There were definitely periods, especially when I was working on the novel. I mean, because I was having a real hard time. I don't know if you've experienced this, but you know, when I was doing all these, I was working a day job and then I was doing all this freelance writing for CBR and, and then I was sort of, pecking at a lot of different projects and none of them were getting done. And I had this sort of eureka moment or this come to Jesus moment is maybe a better descriptor of, I got to pick one. I got to pick one Mm -hmm. and get it to a hundred percent. I got to get it to the end and then I can pick something else. But until it gets to the end, it's worthless to me. I can't do anything with it. And so I picked the girl who would be King. And so things like heart in a box sat on a shelf for years because of that. Um, and so then I picked it up again after it had sat for three years and I was like, all right, let's look at this. What's good about this and what could be better about this? And I found that a lot of what there was there was good, but I knew I could do better. And so I did like a huge overhaul of it. And then, and then I sort of started looking for an artist who might be a good fit for it. I mean, if you were to ask me, that what you just went through is one of the reasons that you've been able to do what you've been able to do. Cause I think, I mean, I I think that's like to look at it and not only say this isn't good, but to go, well, now I have to fix it. And I think, I think that if, if you're listening to that, cause I I can listen to this right now and go, yeah, I never finished those things. And then by the time I came back around to them, I just wasn't interested in the same way. And so I was like, maybe I'll start something that's better. And, And again, that just gets you in that cycle of, 
doing more things that don't get done, which yeah, I think that a lot of people do. I think I think that's the biggest problem that most creators have, and I I think successful creators also have the problem, but they've sure. found a way, like me, to to mitigate it, right? Like, so yeah, I've still got unfinished projects that are dream projects or that I'd love to get back to, or, oh, hey, that's never going to happen. Like that stuff still happens. That never goes away, but you found a way to make sure you're getting finished on things because, you know, it's like, it's like the cliche of like everyone you run into are like, oh, I'm writing a novel. And you're like, uh-huh, great. Uh, cause we all want to write a novel. Like it's in us the same way we want to be musicians and rock stars. Right. Like, um, but that wanting to write a novel or having an idea for a novel, honestly, it's nothing. It's meaningless. Mm-hmm. What means something is having something a hundred percent finished that you can give to someone who can tell you if it's good and help you fix it and maybe one day publish it. And so if you've got 40 of the greatest projects of all time and they're all sitting in your filing cabinet or whatever, 80% finished, you have nothing. You might as well have nothing. Go in there, pick one and fucking finish it. That's how it works until it's done. It's nothing. Did you know that at the, did you know that that's what you were thinking at the time or did you look back at it in retrospect and decode it that way? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I learned it at a certain point, but mm-hmm. no, I struggled with it forever. I mean, I think the point when I realized it was what I said before, which where I was like, I don't have time to do all these things. All I'm doing is amassing partially finished projects, and I love them all like little children, but none of them are ever going to happen unless I can finish one and make someone try to publish it for me. Um, and so I picked The Girl Who Would Be King, and I just ran that ball all the way through. And, um, other stuff came now, the great thing about writing, this is another secret I learned that I'm sure people have heard many times before, but one of the best things you can do for yourself is to, after you finish that project, have a lot of other great projects because that next phase takes a lot of time, um, of, of moving from, Hey, I hit the end to, Hey, I have something (laughs) publishable. It takes a lot of time. And you're not completely in control of it anymore. Like when you were writing it, you were in control of how much effort you were putting in, of how good it was, blah, blah, blah. Well, now you have to hand it off to people. You have to hand it off to beta readers and colleagues that you respect. You have to hand it off to editors. You have to try and find publishers. All that shit takes time and you're not in control of it. And it will drive you crazy. But the best thing to do is start working on something else. Go to one of your other 80% finished projects and fix it. And then you'll be consumed with that one and you'll forget, you won't forget it, but it will move to the back of your mind that you're waiting for other people to do this other thing with you. Mm -hmm. Like it's the best thing you can do for yourself. So having a lot of projects partially finished is a beautiful gift. So long as you pick one, run it to the end and then pick the next one and run that to the end. Because the first one, it might not hit, it might not work. I mean, you know, the girl who would be king is a great story in this regard because I was able to secure this really incredible agent. And I actually had two agents that wanted the book. And it was this big, it was this first big decision of my creative career. And I just wrestled with it so mightily. I finally went with this one agent, one of the most powerful agents in the business, great guy. Um, we workshopped that book for more than a year, I think a more, a year and a half, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then we went out and we got some really interesting bites on it by big publishers. And ultimately, ultimately, we didn't get a deal. And it was like, the big note was, 
too violent and not YA enough, both of which are true, by the way. And so, not what enough? Not YA, young adult oh, enough. Oh, right, right, right. wanted it to fit more in that category, more solidly in that category. And listen, they're right. Mm-hmm. But <sighs> there was this point then where it was, do I change what this book is and maybe get secure one of these deals and have this book that is not really what I set out to do in my opinion, or do I dig in my heels and do it my way and maybe it doesn't get traditionally published. So by that time I had already been working on my second novel story killer because we were workshopping it for a year and a half. So I had to have another project I was doing. So I was doing that and trying to do some comics pitching and stuff. And, um, so when the deal fell through, my agent and I were just going to move on to my other book. So he was like reading that and everything. And I was like, I think I'm going to take this book through Kickstarter. Like it's a weird book that I don't think a publisher is ever going to want, but I think it needs to be out there. And so that book failed. It failed to get where I wanted it to get. And then Kickstarter had sort of opened up this new option. And so then I ran the ball through the alternate goalpost, right? And it's a totally different experience. I'm really glad I did it. It's become this weird little cult book that people really love. Um, It's constantly since publication been optioned by some person or another, Hmm. um, which has brought in a little bit of money here and there, which is always good as a freelancer. And it's wonderful that people are interested in it. A lot of people talk to me about it. I'm so glad I did it. But in one version of the story, it's a total failure. Like I wasn't willing to change it to get the big publishing deal. And so I never did. I mean, I've still never been traditionally published in, um, non in a non comics format. Um, cause a similar thing happened with story killer, not quite the same, but like I got to that point where, um, I knew Kickstarter worked and I knew it could work again. And I got impatient about waiting to see if we could do story killer the traditional way. And so I just took it through Kickstarter and that might've been a mistake with story killer. I mean, I love that book. And so I love that it's out there, but I want to do a series of that book. And that's made it very difficult because now I don't have time to go back to Kickstarter because that is a full-time fucking job, man. So, so, but a publisher is even more hesitant to pick something up. That's part of a series. So, you know, I backed myself into a weird corner there and I don't know, maybe that's helpful to people to know that like, even when you're winning, they're losses come with like everything's a compromise you know let me i want to wrap up relatively soon but let me ask um when i don't know how i want to phrase something i say let me ask this and that's how i was working out (laughs) so when you were the 14 year old girl who had characters talking in your head and the voices and and (laughs) now you're a woman of indeterminate age who Is doing this. I'm putting that on my business cards. Professionally, Tomorrow, a woman of indeterminate age. Like, how are you approaching story now as a professional who is who is you know juggling it all the time and and has deadlines and needs to do things as opposed to how you did then? Do you, do you think about it in similar ways or or is it is it a different formula? Well, I mean, I think I've gotten a lot better at doing it. I, I still think plotting is my weakest area. Um, maybe, maybe it just feels weak for comics mm-hmm. because I tend to want to tell more personal, emotional, maybe 
lower stakes stories in the sense that it's not world ending, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's maybe your life ending. So there's still a lot of stakes, but you know, it's like, I was thinking the other day about this, like if someone gives me Avengers out of nowhere, you know, or maybe I just say justice league. So I don't work for DC. So that becomes a, 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 a less of a, like I'm trying to take Jason Aaron's book. I'm not trying to take Jason Aaron's book. He's the best. Um, what do I want to say? Like, what do I want to do? What are the story ideas I have? And I, I, I came up really empty on that the other day where I was like, ugh. I was like, what big world ending thing do I want to say for do for five issues before mm -hmm. we have to roll into another world ending thing? And I was having a real moment of like, I want to figure that out for myself because I'm ambitious and I challenge myself and I like that challenge. But also at a certain point, are you just trying to fit a round peg into a square hole or the reverse, whichever the phrase is, right? So maybe Jessica Jones is where I belong, you know, and not, not that there's anything wrong with Jessica Jones, but just like the stories we told in Blind Spot and Purple Daughter were like really feminist stories. They were really personal. They had a lot of emotional intensity, but like at no time was the world going to end. And at no time was New York City being destroyed, you know, and is I there mean, anything what is there anything wrong with that? You know, I, like I think I don't that's know. an inherent flaw of mainstream, you know, because all the comics that really make any money are superhero comics. So that is yeah. the the, eth you know, the, everybody's got to do their Jack Kirby thing on those. And it's a problem in a way yeah. that like I as a reader, want people to tell all sorts of different types of stories while working with the best artists there are, and there is an economic constraint there. Because you, yeah. I mean, one thing you are working with superheroes, and you have to, and that's whatever it is. But if every story has to be like that, and people have to make their living doing that way, then it limits the right. storytelling medium that it should have no limits. Right. No, exactly. I mean, like, and I even ran into this as far back as on A Force. Um, and you know, that was a team book. That's a offshoot of Avengers. Right. So I was still trying to tell bigger stories like the, the Ben Caldwell story. Um, I don't want to use the first arc of that story cause that was actually plotted by G. Willow Wilson, but the second arc was all mine and Ben's Ben Caldwell. And you know, we had a whole town in jeopardy and a giant dragon and a mind control woman. Like, so we had a lot of those set pieces, but you know, a lot of it for me was about the relationships of those women and them finding a way to work together, even though they had these very sort of antagonistic personalities sometimes and like finding the, and even the way I solved the problem in that story was like through the power of love, through, like through a spell that Nico did, like for a person who's never known or understood love because they grew up in a battle world called Killville, you know, and they don't even know what that is. So like, even then I'm like trying to do it my way and it looks a little different, which I think is good in some ways, but it's also, it doesn't necessarily fit the mold. And, you know, I used to see the complaints and the praise for a force were so at odds. Like the people who loved it were like, Oh, I love that. It doesn't connect to anything else. It's just its own story. And I can really get involved in these characters and what they're trying to do. And there's time for them to like, go have a drink together and have these jokes and whatever. And then the other people were like, why would I read this? It doesn't connect to anything. <laughs> what is it? What does it matter to the Marvel universe? And 
you know, I was so glad to have the people who got it. And for the people who were like mad that it didn't connect to the Marvel universe, I was just like, shrug my shoulders and be like, can it just be a story we like? Like, you know, so I've been feeling this from the beginning and I, I don't really, I'm not trying to blame anyone for that. Like, I don't blame Marvel for that. I don't blame the fans either. I just think it's an interesting it is problem to have and an interesting thing that as a writer, you have to constantly, you know, look inside yourself about what you want to do and what you want to say. I mean, like Captain Marvel, the last Avenger was definitely me stretching myself to try to do something more. I mean, I still try to do it my own way. Like I can't get out of my own way. Right. Sure. But like, I still tried to do it my way, but like, Doing The Last Avenger was me trying to swing a little bigger the way someone like Donny Cates, you know, Mm -hmm. he swings really big. And I think that comes really naturally to him. And I'm not going to stop trying to do that again because I'm ambitious and I want to challenge myself. But I do have these moments where I'm like, but is that like, don't let Donny be Donny, but maybe I need to just be letting me be me, you know, like. Totally, and I think that's one of the things that that's always one of the things that would have always scared me about mainstream comics is like I think I think a lot of the way that you were talking about is that just give me the two people who put them in a room, we'll figure out what they're going to do, and it'll be interesting. If, yeah. If I have to figure out like why is the world in jeopardy, and you know, I, I'm not good at that. I, I you know. Yeah. But it's weird that comic comics because of the economics, because of their superheroes, because of whatever, like it puts more weight on the other thing. But I don't necessarily think it's yeah. better. Uh, you know, yeah. when I when I read comics, you know, the ones that – and I, I think this really comes down to how many types of readers there are. You know, like when you're talking about your reactions, yeah. like, well, if they're more of the type B people or more of the type A people, and if there are the type A people, are there enough of them that I can keep working? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, and then, you know – Well, that's – that's you just hit on it right yeah. there is can I keep working? Like, I mean, I think that's the question because, you know, I know I'd rather be writing – the type of Jessica Jones story. I mean, again, yes, challenge me. Yes. Ambitious. But the bottom line is that's not where the market is, you know? And so if I want to keep writing superhero comics, I have to keep trying things like the last Avenger. And I have to keep trying to be a a little bit more Donny Cates in my world. Right. Because that is what the market demands. If you want to keep working in it. So you, you, I mean, you got to the truth. I was dancing around it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is, but, but you, you, I mean, you, at the end of the day, you still are going to be you. So you're going to take your, you into doing those other things and some will work and some of them won't. But no, I can, I mean, I completely understand what you're saying. And I, I, I also, I lament the idea that, you know, some people just like the stuff that's, I'm not pigeonholing you, but is, you know, more niche, you know, like, like there's, there's the big action movie and then there's. The slightly weirder, quirkier action movie. Yeah, I think more people are going to like the big action movie, but I really like the side ones a little more. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's comics. Yeah. Comics is nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very special. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, I think that we just had a completely different conversation than the one that we had previously. Honestly, it feels completely different. Yeah. But I'm sort of mad because not to not to crap on this one. I like the other one better. Really? Maybe it maybe it's just because it's better in my mind and we can't ever know what it was. And so I, just I, by the nature of being I unknown, it to you. You said you're gonna burn that tape. You <laughs> promised me, Josh. 
<laughs> I just well, send it to you, and you can have it. Um, you can have it uh, uh, transcripted just in case you want to do a memoir sometime, and right, it'll be done. Right. You'll, you'll have finished some of it. Um, I just think I didn't talk enough about comics. Also, I just talked too much, which is a thing that's a problem for me. No, it's, especially in quarantine where I'm talking to less people. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's going to be just fine. Okay, good. I think we're good. Well, thank I'm you glad. so much for for coming back. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun both times. I think we have to. Worry yeah, about it. Cool. yeah, me too. Let's do it again um, sometime when comics is back up and running and things are a little more normal. It's a done um, deal. Yeah, I've got Black Widow hopefully coming out in the fall around the movie. Maybe we could chat again about that. I'm really excited about that book. Cool. And I'm sure I'm going to need to do some PR to remind people that it's a thing that exists. (laughs) You got it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. There it is. The second... And or only, uh, for now, a conversation with Kelly Thompson. I really dug this conversation. I really dug the first one. I actually think this was better for what that's worth. Um, You can uh, go to ifanboy.com to comment on this show or look at the other shows that we've done. You can also go to ifanboy.com slash Patreon to support uh, the show that you're listening to. The reason that this show exists is because of ifanboy patrons. Uh, You can go check out Kelly's work. Uh, She is at... uh, 19 or no not 19 79 semifinalist on on twitter 79 semifinalist i is one of my favorite twitter handles i'll be honest and i think that's all thanks so much for listening